Thank you so much for tuning in to our church podcast. You can go to atarapentecost.com for questions about services and how to donate. We pray that you are blessed by this message today. God bless. From different people, teachers and, you know, coaches and different things like that, but what we need to, and I know we, we, we're here tonight, we believe this, we're here, we're people of faith, and we understand that ultimately we need to be encouraged to live with, for God at a level that we've never lived for Him before. How many of us believe that? And so, Brother uh, Cliff, uh, if you could put that uh, scripture up there. We're getting very colorful, aren't we? That's all my doing right there. I'm very high-tech, and I can do that. Thank you. (laughs) Brother Mark says, I know better than that. Says, uh, and I'm going to call him Joe, okay? Call him Jose or whatever. And Joe, who by the apostles were surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus. Is there more to that one verse, or is that it? Okay, good enough right there. And this is a, really is a lesson that I have been going to put together for some time. And uh, uh, actually, uh, three years and, or so. And I thought, well, this is a good time to maybe talk about a little bit. And the way really it is started, and I'll show you. In fact, why don't you put that photo up there, Brother Cliff, if you would. The first one, the old one. There you go. Whoa. Whoa. There's your Baker City All-Star team right there, 1965. Yes, sir. GK is right there in that photo. All-star pitcher. Played Portland. Beat him. Best game probably ever pitched in my life, like a four-hitter. Where am I in that picture? Yeah, just find the smallest guy in the photo, and there I am. Front row, one, two, three, four, five. I'm the guy that, yeah, with, I'm just the smallest guy there in the photo. Smallest guy there. Guy with a glove on his knee, that's me. And I, I'm, wearing, I'm wearing baseball shoes that had toilet paper stuffed under toes because we couldn't afford them, of course. And so my best buddy, Gary Points, who taught me everything I knew about sports, he says, GK says, you need a pair of cleats. He said, and they, they were cleats, trust me, okay? So uh, they were about, I think they came from his older brother, Herb. And uh, I, I, I'm not exaggerating when I say I probably stepped that much toilet paper in the toes of them things so I could wear them. But I'm telling you, when I put them on, I felt so really, really good, man. I felt like a, a baseball player. But I show you that because we're going to be, talking a little bit about. I, I was having a conversation 
with uh, one of my neighbors here, probably the last summer, I guess. <clears throat> and we got to talking a little bit about baseball, and uh, I don't know how it started, but he, uh, he used to play softball, and uh, he apparently, according to him anyway, he was pretty good. And uh, we were talking about how they just give, you know, they give trophies away and different things like that. And, and he says, you know, he says, I learned a lesson one time. And uh, he says, we had a coach, and his motto was, coach him up. Coach him up. And here's what he said. He said, our mindset was this. He says, the attitude of his team was that, if you made an error, you needed a run. Okay? He says, and if the umpire made a bad call, you needed a run. That's the way they overcame the challenge of those two obstacles. They said, you know, I know, Brother Tim, you missed that ball, dude, okay? But here's the deal. All we need is a run to make up for it. And the umpire, how many of you ever seen an umpire? I mean, I've got a son-in-law. I won't tell you who he is, but he's an umpire, and he makes bad calls sometimes. Well, I won't tell you who he is. Just kidding. Okay. But how many of you have ever saw an umpire make a bad call? And, you know, the, the attitude of, right? Uh, my, my neighbor says, now, our attitude was, hey, bad calls are going to be made. He says, score a run. He says, we just need a run. He says, that's the way we overcame. That was our mindset. He says, you can't let those things get you down because if you do, it'll affect your, the way that you play the game of life. Okay, and so if if you would, Brother Cliff, I know you really adore that picture, but I'll put a better one up there, okay? And that's a good photo. Oh. Now, the guy on the left, you know, with the blue shirt, he's not important, but the guy to my right showing off the big ring, he's important. Okay, and of course, go to the next vote because that's the important one. Oh, there, I, there he is. Now we're talking. Okay. All right. That gentleman's name, at the time, I really didn't know who he was, but his name is David Ross. You probably all have heard him. He's very famous. Now he wasn't uh, a few years ago. Here's here's. Uh, I was at a, uh, an event, and uh, he had flown in. He had actually called. He was a, a, a sports analyst for ESPN, and he was helping call game number seven of the 2017 World Series. He flew all night to get to our event and be able to spend time with us and talk to us. Now... When I first saw him, I didn't know who he was. But 
who he is, his name is David Ross. And the story behind this man is that for 13 of the 15 years that he played baseball, he was a backup catcher. He was a backup catcher. And the way that he, that he initially, the way he, he started out, and the book tells a little bit that he was, you know, if you're, if you're a backup catcher, all right, playing in the big leagues, it's not that big of a deal. But it started in, and he started to get a little bit of an attitude, and I guess that he played for I don't know how many teams, like eight different teams. But along the journey, he had several concussions, and he came back, and along that journey, he discovered that, you know what? I can be a real asset to this team by encouraging them. So he gained a reputation of being such an encouraging teammate that his story, it just infiltrated through the big leagues. And finally, he found himself with the Boston Red Sox, I think it was in 2013, and he won a World Series, and he got the ring. And then in 2016, the Chicago Cubs signed him. He decided that was going to be his last year to play. He was going to retire. Back up catcher. Now, the Chicago Cubs had not won a World Series in 108 years. 108 years. And when he came on board, he, his reputation preceded him. All of that team was happy to have him in their dugout because their, his mission had changed in life. He knew that he was no longer a great dynamic power hitter or offensive catcher, but what he discovered that he was, that he could encourage those other players to play at a higher level that the coach then knew, or thought at least, that he could do, and he built a chemistry in that team. Okay? Now let me, now let me go to, let me go to what he calls a crazy five minutes. He says, you've got to be kidding me. That was the G-rated version of what I said to myself five minutes after I entered Game 7 of the World Series as a defensive replacement to catch the pitcher John Lester, who had just come out of the bullpen. With a four-run lead and needing one out to end the inning, one of the Cleveland players, Jason Kipnis, hit a dribbler in front of the plate. 
He says, I fielded the ball, turned to first, let it rip. The ball sailed to the side of the first baseman for an error, and runners advanced to second and third. He says, I was upset with myself because I didn't have a good grip on the ball. I rushed the throw, almost got the first baseman killed as it went down the right field line in foul territory. He said, but still, despite my throwing error, we had a two outs with a chance to close out the inning without giving up a run. As the next batter came to the plate, our pitcher threw a curveball that bounced in front of the plate, bounced off the dirt, hit my catcher, my face mask. The ball ricocheted to my right toward our dugout on the first baseline. By the time I got to the ball near the dugout, sliding to pick it up and throwing back to the pitcher covering home plate, both runs had scored on the wild pitch. I had only been in the game, the seventh game of the World Series, for five minutes. Our team had not won the World Series in 108 years, asking myself, how in the world did this just happen? He says, suddenly I felt like a grandpa, 39 he was, all right? He says, the old man who tripped over his own two feet. If you make an error, you need a run. Top of the sixth with one out, David Ross came to bat. This is the inning after he scored, after he made the error. The count went to 0-2, strike two, no balls. Prior to the 2016 season, he said, I never had a two-strike approach. He says, after Coach Joe Madden talked about the importance of, of a two-strike strategy in spring training, it changed my year. He said, I made a slight two-strike adjustment. I hit the next pitch over the fence for a home run, the oldest player to hit a home run in a World Series. The Cubs would go on to win their first World Series in 108 years, and David Ross's teammates, even though it wasn't a game-winning home run, his teammates carried him off the field after the game. Because what he had done is he had basically, he had preached that message in that dugout all the time he was there, that lifting people up. When he made those two terrible, terrible errors in five minutes' time, you know what his teammates did? They said, come on, man. We've got your back. We're still in this thing. That's what they said to him in game seven of the World Series. And he gets up and he takes two strikes, one pitch left, and he hits a home run over the fence. And they win the World Series first time in 108 years, and they carry him off of the field. Can I tell you that... In 2019, David Ross became coach of the Chicago Cubs.
And all he did, for the most part, was he did what he could do, and that was to encourage those people around him that had not won in 108 years. And somehow he convinced them that they could, and then he showed them after he totally, I would, right? I would have walked off the field and hid myself in the locker room if I had done that. But instead, he gets up to the plate and he hits a home run. Powerful statement, isn't it? Powerful. Acts 4.36, we meet a man by the name of Joseph. We'll call him Joe. You know, the apostles gave him a nickname. They were talking the sons of thunder. Okay? <laughs> you know, the hand-picked variety. That somehow Barnabas influenced those Apostles so much that had been picked by Jesus himself that he, he was always apparently, now maybe you can help me out on this, right? But if, who's got a nickname? Come on, somebody be brave. Right here, Sister Janelle, what is it? What is it? Let me pick on somebody. Do you have a nickname, Danica? Come on, tell us. Yeah. What do they call you on the team? Aggressive? Yeah, they did. Brother Mark. I had, I had lots of nicknames. But I had, had one... They, my mom always called me Peanuts. I got to do with anything. Anybody else got one? All right, here we go. What is it? Where did that come from? And who thought of that? That sounds like your mom would pick. <laughs> right, but you understand is it somehow Barnabas, old Joe, all right? Joe got... Somehow, under Peter and John and James and all the rest of them, got under their skin enough to where, hey, okay, Joe. Wow. Something. We're calling you a different name. We're calling you Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Son of exhortation. Now, come on now, really? After you've been handpicked by the Lord himself, right? You think you need to be encouraged? I'm not sure I do. I'm, you know, if the Lord touched me, GW, right? And I'm walking around in his entourage, I'm feeling pretty good. I really don't need a lot of encouragement from anybody else. Because, you know, the Lord kind of picked me. But he somehow influenced them enough 
to where they gave him a nickname. He was a bench warmer. That's what he was. He was a bench warmer that simply did what he knew what he could do. And maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe the maybe they went fishing more times than the Bible tells us, you know, and and they didn't catch any fish, and maybe old Barnum is walking along shore and says, Hey man, keep on fishing. You're bound to catch something. Maybe they reeled in something. I don't know. I don't know what he did, except the Bible does give us a little bit of clue. Okay? I better get the scriptures here, so. All right. Who knows what the first time we hear about him? Anybody? Thinking Acts chapter 4, he was a giver. He was unselfish. He was a giver. He was one of those guys that he saw a need. He had the means to support that need. The Bible says he sold some property. He laid it at the apostles' feet. In other words, he saw a need that was so big and so great that that was his way to encourage the work of God at that given moment. Listen, there are, gonna, there are some times, okay, that you can be an encourager by an act of faith that doesn't necessarily fit within the box. Who has ever had what they felt like God move upon them in a particular moment that has prompted you to an action that you normally would not have done? Brother Larry? Yeah, I think we've all, you know, we may not remember them right off the bat, but I, I think we all remember there's been moments in our lives where we have been prompted by the, the Holy Ghost to possibly go in a direction or make a move or do something out of the ordinary. I have been like Barnabas at times where I have felt like that at that moment I had what it could, what I had 
would help to move the kingdom of God in a particular way. And the other thing is that, is that Barnabas, now imagine this part of his story, okay? Paul has been converted. He is trying his best to preach the gospel. He is, he is going up to, you know, he's, he's, he's going up to, uh, you know, sons of thunder, and he's saying, hey, boys, hey, I'm Paul, and I'm a preacher. They were like, dude, go away from us. We know who you are. You're bad news. You go away, go away, go away. The Bible says that Barnabas reached out, befriended Paul, led him by the hand into that circle of the elite apostles, and it took him. Now, imagine if he had not have pulled Paul into that circle of those 12 or 11, 12 apostles, and he became the mightiest Christian and missionary and writer of the New Testament the world has ever known. Barnabas was the guy that believed in Paul before anybody else did. And he brought him to Jerusalem. You can read it, okay? I don't have time to read all the scriptures, but check it out, okay? He led him and he said, hey, Paul, come on, buddy. I'm going to introduce you to the guys. Wow. You know, the other part about his life is that Barnabas, Bible says that he went on one of the missionaries' journeys with Paul. When they, they stopped in a place called Antioch, Brother Cliff, I better bring this one up because this is, this is really uh, 1124, I think it is, Brother Cliff. And so the Bible says that the word of God came into Antioch, and they, there was a bunch of believers that happened. And so we're told that uh, the, the apostles, they sent Barnabas into Antioch. Maybe it, if somebody's got that, they can beat Brother Cliff. Oh, here we go. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled the assemblies of the church, taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. I think, Brother Cliff, if you go back to, go to verse, I think, 22, I think it is. When he first gets there, listen to this. Okay, 23. There we go. Who, when he came, they, the, the apostles said, hey, we need somebody to go to Antioch and encourage these people. Well, who do you think they're going to pick? Bible says that they sent Barnabas, and when he came and seen the grace of God, was glad and what? And exhorted them. What does that mean? And encourage them that with purpose, Brother Ollie, of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. 
They didn't send Peter. They didn't send one of the other, Thomas. They didn't send, they sent Barnabas. And when he went there, the Bible says that he entered into, he, there was gladness, he exhorted them. And then, in a couple of verses, guess what? The Bible says, and they were first called Christians at Antioch. I just wonder if Barnabas had anything to do with that. He was just coming off. He was just coming off the bench. He was an encourage. He he was just when he called, when the opportunity came, he they called him off the bench. He went into the game, right? And he accomplished what he was called on to do. Wow, how good is that? How good is that? Amen. I hope this makes sense to you. It sure did to me. Okay? Making sense to you? Okay? And then he gets Paul. Okay, but I want to... I want to... Uh, there's another man in the Bible of whom we really don't teach about or even pay a lot of attention to. And he was a bench warmer for three and a half years. Okay? He's in the Bible. Anybody want to take an educated guess? He was a bench warmer. Educated guess. Okay. Nobody wins. Nobody gets the payoff. There could have been a big payoff. But... All right, listen to this. All right? In Acts chapter 1 tells us that the 11 apostles went back to Jerusalem to wait on the Holy Ghost outpouring. Peter spoke and said, someone must take the place of Judas. Verses 21, 26 is where you'll find this story. There was two men, Matthias, and who was the other one? That, and here was, here was the credentials that they, they had to put on that application. All right, here's what had to be. They had to have been an eyewitness from the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ unto the ascension. Those were the requirements. Two men fit that bill. Matthias and the other guy. The lot fell, right? They drew straws. No, I don't know how they do it, okay? But the unum and the thunum, no? That, those were gone. <laughs> the lot, the Bible says the lot fell on Matthias, okay? He had been a bench warmer. Three and a half years. Three and a half years, he had been kind of there on the outside of that 12-man circle. But one day, the call came to him to join the team. And from that point on, he was called one of the 12 as if he had been with the twelve from the beginning to the end. 
opportunity. You ever heard of the 11th hour labors? I wonder who those might be. Could be, right? Possibly. Opportunity. And he became, he became one of the 12. Now, there's another, there's another lesson that, that uh, comes along with this, and that is how to handle rejection. How would you have liked to bend the other guy that got rejected? If you're applying for the greatest job in the universe, one of the chosen 12, and the other guy gets the job. I wonder what happened to him. Don't know. But that's not our lesson tonight. The other, we're, and we're going to close here in just a couple of minutes, but he became one of the 12 men who would establish the church. The teaching of what would become Christianity, a global network that would transform the world. From a bench warmer to one of the twelve. Did you know that Jesus said in the book of Revelation that there will be, what is it called? Twelve pillars or twelve foundations or twelve walls that are named after the apostles? Matthias will be one of those. He'll be one of those. There is a story of a running back by the name of Gil King who played for Texas A&M. But he quit during the season so he could focus on other things, and, but he would help out in the home games at the press box, helping them pick out players. This was way back in, I think, about 1920 or so. And the story goes that during a game in which the Aggies running back went down with injuries and they were down to one running back, Coach Bible. True. Bible. Coach Bible, that's his name. Okay. Coach Bible looked up to the press box and spotted King. He asked him to suit up and join the team on the sidelines just in case he was needed. Gil King suited up but never got in the game. Little did he know to this day during a football game, the entire student body, almost 100 years later, that entire student body stands during the entire football game to show their support for their team and their readiness if called upon to enter the game. Be instant. Somebody want to complete that for me? When they, when they charge you, all right, when you stand before the district board and they give you a charge and they pronounce that you are a preacher man. Be instant in season and out of season. What does that mean? It means be ready. It means you need to be ready. 
The Amplified Version words it a little bit different. It says, be instant in season and out of season to preach the word, preacher, to preach the word. Sister Reyes, to preach the word. But Clemson, to preach the word. Or, be an official ambassador of the gospel. Be ready when the time is right, and even when it is not. Keep your sense of urgency whether the opportunity seems favorable or not favorable. Well, I don't want to go in. I want to sit on the bench again. No. Whether convenient or unconvenient. Do you know that sometimes it is not convenient for me to stand up here and try to teach or preach. Did you know that probably the teachers in the house tonight would witness to that same perspective? And certainly, if you have ever been on the platform and tried to smile and sing praises unto God, right? There are just sometimes, Sister Peach. Are you always in season when you get up there, or do you just fake it until you make it? No. You understand what? All right, sisters. We have some really, really good worship. We have a good worship team, I'm telling you, because I am not a, I can't sing, play, or anything like that, right? Are you with me? In season, out of season, favorable, unfavorable. I really don't like the weather we've been having. I just want you to know that, right? It really bugs me to no end. Hebrews 12.2, For we are surrounded. Now, this is indeed a sports metaphor. Paul was at times using those things because he was surrounded by the Olympics and all of that kind of thing. And we know that. But he says, we are surrounded by a cloud of This is your day. This is your time. You are the church. The church is not your neighbor. The church is you. You are the player. It is game day. There may be two strikes on. It may be down to the last out. You may have made a couple of errors, right? Hello. Anybody made an error beside me? Anybody? No, you guys never have. I, I made one one time. 
Yeah. I just won. When I was playing Little League. You understand what I'm saying? Bob McKeown, did you have people that encouraged you along the way? We're surrounded by cloud of witness, so let us run the race as if we were going for the win. And I'll just leave you with the words of my neighbor. Time something would go a little haywire around him in his environment. And he, you know, the rain would start, or the seagull would drop a couple of raindrops on his head. True story. Kathleen's not here, she can witness to it. But For the body of Christ. No big eyes and little ears, some big ears, but right? We are all part of Christ. Amen. Let's stand.